You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey, that's uh, that's pretty bad. 131 to 128 via Walker Kessler and the Utah Jazz. The Raptors lose. And uh, I guess now 23 and 30, we loom ever closer to the trade deadline. And it seems decisions are more than likely going to be made with this roster. The Raptors lose a game that was, I think, very winnable. And although it seemed like it was winnable, I think most people watching, myself included, thought that this would end in a loss. And my story for that is, and I won't be releasing the messages, but there are messages to prove this. Louis Zatzman had an idea for a piece. Stay tuned, RaptorsRepublic.com, subscribe for that tomorrow. But he had an idea for a piece, and he had already poured about 600 words into it. And he said, wow, if the Raptors come back, I have to ditch this whole thing. And I said, don't worry, they'll still lose. Have a little faith. And it's it's not that I want them to lose. It's just that the Raptors, they, they often put themselves into this position. And they lose a lot of the time. This is their 15th or their 16th single-digit loss of the season. And my goodness, they know how to lose games, man. They certainly don't know how to win them. 23 and 30. This is the Raptors Reaction Podcast. Also, I guess I'll say, I know it's it's not like a huge night. But Fred Van Vliet had a triple-double. That's pretty great. He continues to have a very, very impressive stretch of play. So he had a triple-double. Congrats on that, Fred. Um, And a very good game. This is the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk. And it is, of course, brought to you by Goldfinger Law. And hey, here's the thing about Goldfinger Law, okay? Uh, (laughs) You only pay if you win. The benefits are obvious that if you lose, you don't have to pay. Everybody knows that. If you're interested, 416-730-1777. Okay, so I I recently got some feedback about a a term I wasn't really aware of, a vocal fry. I don't know how to control for that, and I don't want to slip into like a broadcaster's voice and be totally inauthentic, but I will try to uh, make my voice the least grating it can possibly be. Although sometimes... My apologies. These are late at night. Sometimes I'm just tired. They gum, you know. <laughs> anyway, we'll see if my voice can be, I guess, more consistently not in the vocal fry section. Uh, 131 to 128. Pascal Siakam had an interesting counter in this game. He and Scotty both started out collectively, I believe, one for 14 from the field. The Raptors, as a whole, five of 25. Actually, four of 24 is the more severe statistic. It's a lower percentage than five of 25. And they started out there. And a lot of it had to do with not only the Raptors, you know, kind of lack of imagination to involve the Utah guards in the defense and make sure that they can make them pay there. They kept running into their bigs. 
um, most notably Walt Kessler, right? And Laurie Markkinen is a, not not the best defender, but he's large on the inside. And Kelly Olenek also starting in this game. They were very, very big up front. And the Raptors were bigger up front than they usually are starting Precious Achua and, and Pascal and Scotty Barnes with, with OG still out. But they had a really tough time navigating the middle of the floor. Walker Kessler in this game finishing with 17 points, 14 rebounds, and seven, I believe. Yep, make it seven blocks. Uh, Markinen got one. Olenek got one. Mike Conley had two, although one of them was that that Fred Van Vliet block where it's like a, a swipe down on a guy bringing the ball up. It, it should be counted as a steal, but it counts as a block. You know, who's to say really? But the Raptors had a lot of trouble navigating the inside. And that that was a tough watch. <laughs> I got to be honest, it wasn't quite as bad as the Milwaukee game. But you can see that the Raptors, they're taking too long to find their counters, right? And they eventually did. They scored 128 points in this game. The offense wasn't really the problem. And, and, but in the first quarter, it was. They only scored 25. They allowed 31 um, through the rest of the game, they scored 35, 32, 36 in the corresponding second, third, and fourth quarters. And they allow 34, 31, 35. They didn't have a single quarter in this game where they allow under 30 points. This is a problem. This is a defense that as good as Precious Achua is, he didn't he wasn't equipped, I don't think, to handle the sheer size of the Utah front court. And also, I think you can tell now, and I've been talking about it for a little while. Now I think the conversation is starting to catch up to Pascal Siakam and how, just how tired he looks, right? He's gassed. He fouled out in this game, still finished with 39 minutes, 39 and a half minutes, and is, is you know, energetic and boundless as Precious Achua is. He needs a lot of help to manage that type of matchup um, against Walker Kessler, uh, Laurie Markin and, and Kelly Olynyk in the front court, and, and Jared Vanderbilt and stuff like that, um, and Scotty and Pascal. I don't think uh, were able to bring up their end of the bargain. And the Raptors, you know, they're also dealing with a, a Utah team that is in a lot of motion. They set a lot of screens. They know how to get their guys like Conley and Clarkson and Beasley, uh, Sexton as well downhill to turn the defense. Their big men will come into the dunker spot, show to make sure that if there's a dump off, if the Raptors cover that, their big guys like Markkinen will sprint back out to the three-point line for when the offense is resetting, so a skip pass available. It just makes the Raptors have to cover a lot of ground. And in this game, you know, I think the Raptors had a decent stretch uh, defensively in this game, but for the most part, it was them not being able to contain uh, what Utah wanted to do. And, And a lot of that is just Utah having a lot of size on the inside for extra possessions to be able to finish buckets in there. Laurie Markkinen is he's going to threaten for an All-NBA spot. He'll be an All-Star. I know he wasn't considered the bell of the ball before he was traded to Utah. Everybody and their mom, you know, it is still a really good trade for Cleveland, but everybody and their mom was like, wow, this trade is crazy. And the value of it at that time was crazy. But Laurie Markkinen has made it a very extremely compelling trade for Utah because of how good he's been. This is a guy, he's shooting an insane amount from three. He's he's shooting over 50% from the field. He's shooting great from the free throw line. He doesn't pass a ton. It's not like a ton of creation in that way. But he's a guy, man. He, He knows how to work off ball, get to his spots as a shooter and a cutter, and he certainly knows how to score on ball. 
He's been so great this year, and he just kept driving, you know, Utah forward. And it made so much sense for Utah to build their offense this way. And I think Mike Conley still is a bit of a big man whisperer, right? He knows how to put his bigs in positions to succeed, to to get the ball in the dunker spot, to roll into space, and and to have the the space to finish there without a ton of contest. And Conley and Clarkson and and Sexton and all these different guys, I think did and Beasley too, just a great shooter. He, he's a whiz coming off. Like I know he shot five of fourteen this game, but four of eleven from downtown. Uh, most people are going to take that thirty six percent on high volume, and a lot of it is movement threes, right? Um, you, you'll take that any day of the week, and they really know how to leverage their size. And they know how to lever- leverage their quickness. Having Clarkson and, and Beasley give you 27 points just behind the three-point line and having Conley just continue to work downhill, probe, find guys. They they play such a fun brand of basketball. I mean, 19 points and eight assists for Conley. Sublime. Markkinen, 28 and 13, right? Walker Kessler, as I said, 17 and 14. Jordan Clarkson, 23. Olenek, not a big game. But early on, he certainly contributed to the Raptors' struggles on offense. As for Siakam's struggles early, I think he really did turn it around in this game. He started out 0 for 7. I think he finishes 9 for 22 in this one. He didn't take a 3. He didn't make a 3, obviously, if he didn't take any. He finishes with 21, 10, and 5. And I think what he did really well after struggling initially, because, you know, I've covered this in my writing. I've covered this on the podcast that... Pascal is so gassed and so run down that he's having a very tough time beating guys at the point of attack with quickness. This is something that we saw was a massive part of his game in the early part of the year and has been a you know massive part of his game his whole career. In fact, it was the pillar with which his game was built off of. Um, he's not able to do that currently. And with that said, he had a lot of trouble navigating Walker Kessler's rotations as the low man coming over in that help side. So his adjustment in the second half and after the tough start to the game was to get the ball in the post and to work the ball from the sideline instead of from the middle of the floor. Kessler was really, really good, and a lot of big men are, at managing to rotate towards the middle of the floor, right? It gets a little bit trickier because when you work from the sideline, then a lot of the 45 cuts open up that you're weak to. Now there's a 45 cut where your back will be turned to it. Whereas if you're rotating to the middle of the 45 cuts, typically you're going to see those. And the baseline cuts, um, people tend to pay more attention to those than the 45 cuts. So it, it creates a little bit easier situation. And Pascal moved the ball onto the sideline for post-ups and had a much better time managing uh, where Kessler was and managing where he was able to get to on the floor to score. And it made it so that he had more one-on-one coverage. And not to say that it wasn't one-on-one prior. You know, Siakam got doubled a couple times in this game. He he is one of the most doubled players in the NBA. Uh, that's going to keep happening. But he found a way to get one-on-one coverage um, a decent amount of time. It is kind of crazy to sit with this game and the fact that the Raptors, yes, they had 27 defensive rebounds. They had 25 offensive rebounds. Let me look and see how many. Utah had 13. 13 is a decent chunk of offensive rebounds, but 25 for the Raptors. Scotty had nine of them. So this is kind of what, this is what the big guys do. The Raptors are beating them to a spot. The Raptors, their effort on the offensive glass, palpable. They're winning the battle to get to the ball. But Utah is getting back in time to rotate to contest shots 
and then it becomes volleyball taps around the rim, it becomes very, very contested and congested, and the Raptors aren't able to create a lot of the surplus value that they typically get. You know, Scotty in particular finishing with nine offensive rebounds in this game, 18 points, 14 boards. Um, that's the cool thing about Scotty is that while this wasn't his best game, and I think he's similar to Pascal, figured out that. I have to work the ball in from the sidelines to kind of navigate Kessler in the middle because very tough to attack this Utah team coming right down the pipe. They're really good at rotating that way. They struggled a lot more once the Raptors started working it in from the side. Outside of Fred Van Vliet, I would say, because Fred has the, the jumper to kind of sway them to defend differently, I would say. But the cool thing is that Barnes is getting to 18-14. to 14. You know, it's it's a really impressive number. And while numbers aren't everything, uh, he is Johnny on the spot at times. Late in games, it's it's that little you know pinch post action. He'll get to his spot. He'll hit a hook shot. He's so big in there, and he really can get to his spots down low. And he he finishes so high in his release, and he maintains his body control. He doesn't. He really doesn't let guys, no matter the size, work him into a fade. He's going up, and he's oftentimes leaning into the basket. So. So just impressive work there. Uh, let's let's talk Fred and then Chris, and then we'll get out of here. But Fred, 34 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. He's, he's having a fantastic stretch of play. I think that he's really figured out. I talked about this last podcast about how the pocket pass really is Fred's most advantageous pass to make, given his smaller stature and given his wingspan, all other passes really benefit bigger players. But the pocket pass is the, that's the territory of a small guard. You're closer to the ground. It's it's harder for other players to get that low. You're, you're quicker typically. And, you know, maintaining the passing lane is about you getting downhill, which typically you can, and the big man maintaining it on his side and, and how far the drop is, you know. So, so he's he's done a really good job of passing. He's also the bump in and then pass out to the corner is something that he's been pretty good at lately. Uh, the the bump and finish at the rim. There's been a lot of left-handed finishes for him after these really strong bumps, moving guys out of the paint. Extremely impressive. Um, finishing in a, at a much better percentage lately too. And then four of nine from three. This was a really impressive game from Fred. And while the ball pressure and the point of attack defense, it's it's not something that is the defining trait of his game anymore. Uh, and, and you can't compare this season to last, certainly. Um, this is one of his best offensive stretches by the numbers that we've seen in some time. And whether you're somebody who views that as trade value going up or whether you're somebody who views that as my point guard my guy, Fred Van Vliet, back in action, back in the fold, healthy, working, operating correctly. Can't wait to see what he looks like as he stays on as a Raptor for however much longer. Whichever one it is, this is a big positive. And a triple-double, his second one of his career. He deserves a lot of credit for that. And another guy who deserves a lot of credit is Chris Boucher. I think, once again, like 7 of 9 from the floor, 16 of 5. In a game that's 131 to 128, there's a lot of up and down in this one. Chris Boucher, he found his role. He found his mark. And the Raptors, as we know, Coloco didn't didn't cut it in this game. I think that he had opportunities. His He wasn't able to bang around on the inside. 
probably the requisite amount that the Raptors needed. Thad Young, a similar thing. Malachi Flynn ha- hasn't popped as a guard in quite some time, right? Uh, Delano Banton, this was his first game since December 18th, I believe, wasn't a factor. These guys are on Nurse's bench, and Nurse is stingy with minutes, and uh, he's looking. And having Chris Boucher step up and give you north of 20 minutes is uh, is good. It's definitely a good thing because these guys need to play less. Scotty played 41 and a half minutes. Pascal would have played 42 if he hadn't fouled out. Precious plays only 25. Gary, 38. Fred, just shy, 38. It's just a lot of minutes. So anytime you get a good bench performance, honestly, just for these guys' sake, I hold on to that. I say, thanks for the minutes, man, because these guys are getting run ragged out there. Reggie Evans Award, I want to give it to Fred Van Vliet. He hasn't got it in a really long time, and the effort was, you know, it's hard for a, it's hard for a guard to go out there and nab 12 rebounds. He did so. I understand why some people would think that Scotty deserves it with nine boards, but, man, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to Fred. Okay, top quick reaction comment is from Drew. Quote, once again, starting point guard taking the most shots. Have to admit, never paid much attention to that, but it's getting so obvious as to what's going on. Plus, Trent looking for a payday, Siakam looking for Supermax, and Nobi wanting more touches to no doubt build his value up. This is what happens when teams are out for themselves. Ujiri ain't going to let this stand. Now's the time to trade Van Vliet. Um. The Raptors are top 10 in offensive rating at this point now. Oddly enough, they've been, in January to now, they've been a fantastic offense. Um, and that has corresponded with the upturn in Fred's play. Um, Fred's shots, I wouldn't worry about in a game where the Raptors scored 128. I, I think sometimes we get caught up in, in narrative around guys and and we get caught up in, you know, kind of sticking with old talking points that aren't relevant to the game at hand. Um, I, I don't think Fred was selfish in this game or bad in this game. And I don't think that this game adds to the, or it becomes again, a referendum on why he needs to be traded. I think that Fred being traded is more so about where the team is as a whole. I don't think that Fred is a singular reason for why the team is bad. I think that he contributes to it. I think that Pascal contributes to it. I think that Scotty contributes to it. I think that uh, Trent, Ananobi, Achua, everybody who's playing meaningful minutes out there is a contributor in why this team fails. And some of it's on the defensive end. Some of it is uh, fatigue. And that's not necessarily their fault, but they're out there. They're being told to go out there. And it's their play that isn't winning games. Um, I, I think that is very easy. And I've, I read every quick reaction comment. I see the way that people talk about, you know, the players via the comment section or via Twitter. Um, Fred is the, the punching bag. And while I do think that there's a likelihood that Fred gets traded, I do think that Fred being worse on defense definitely contributes. And I do think that Fred is a less viable lead ball handler than you'd want ideally. I think that Every loss or the state of the Raptors being pinned on him is um, misguided, probably. And I hope and I hope people don't mind hearing me say that because I'm also critiquing his game. And 
for anybody who's paid attention to my work, um, I've critiqued Fred's playmaking for years now and said that I had a really tough time believing in him as a lead guard because of his limitations as a playmaker. But it's not just Fred who's put him in this position. Fred is going to, if a team says, Fred, you have these possessions, um, we need you to run these this many actions, you're going to play this many minutes, he's going to do it. This is a team that has built around Fred. This is a team that has emboldened him. This is a team that um, has built a roster that currently has a bunch of limitations that makes them overly reliant on Fred. And so I don't like the conversation being so focused on him. I do think it is misguided. But I think that you're right that there is an element of selfishness in this team. So yeah, I I think it's just, you know, you're talking about Fred because you want to talk about Fred. But in a game where the Raptors score 128 points, right, I think it's, again, misguided to focus on the offensive side of the floor where it was ostensibly working quite well. And, uh, you know, the defense is what failed them tonight, unequivocally. And so, yeah. But but I've seen so many of these. So maybe for you, honestly, this comes off as a bit harsh because for you, this is the first time you mentioned Fred. But for me, this is the, you know, the 30th time I've read a comment about Fred and how Fred's done this team in. And I see it around all the time. And, you know, it, it does feel like uh, it, it makes sense to kind of push back because it's come, it's gone so much one way, I would say. Um, that isn't to say he's free of criticism. I've given some in this talk. I've given some. Uh, I've talked about it ad nauseum, basically. But yeah, th- that's my thoughts on that. Now is the time to trade Van Vliet. That part, I would, if I'm the guy making the decisions, if I'm the Raptors, if I'm Bobby or Masai, who whoever's making that decision, I'm looking very hard for a Fred Van Vliet trade. Me. So I'm not I'm not necessarily against you. Right? Just the framing seems a bit unfair. But that final point now may very well be the time to trade Van Vliet. Okay, thanks for writing in, Drew. Thanks for listening in. Listener, if you got onto this, got into this on YouTube, like the video, subscribe. I'm told that helps. Uh, go over to RaptorsRepublic.com, subscribe to the website. That's the most important one. And if you're listening on the podcast channel, Uh, Thanks for letting me chop it up with you. Thanks for listening in. Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.